0: Morning. We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 2, uh, starting in verse, verse 42 and going through the end of the chapter. It's a very familiar passage, but I pray that we would hear it with new ears and eyes this morning. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. your mercy is more, and that we can trust in that fact. We can rely on that. It is a sure thing. I pray that we would find great comfort in that this morning. I pray that your mercy towards us, that we would read your word, your scripture in light of that, your provision for us through Christ, that it would change our hearts, that you would give us generous hearts. We would show mercy and kindness to others that you would teach us what it is to be a church, to be part of your body. I pray for Paul this morning as he comes to teach, Ask that you would guard his mind and his heart, and that you would fill him with your spirit to teach us, to give us ears to hear your words, so that we might be changed and transformed into the image of your son Jesus. As he sings in the name of your son, amen.
1: Man, I pray your hearts are encouraged through our time of singing together this morning. As I was sharing with our community training class today, the songs we sing here are very intentional. They are very purposeful, and I pray that your hearts are strengthened in them. And if there are songs that we sing together that you do not know, one of the great things about Uh, our ability to get on the internet and that sort of thing now is you can find all of these things and you can get online and you can hear them and you can learn them and I encourage you to do that because uh, they have great truth that builds us in our faith and God gives different means for us to be strengthened in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, to call to mind daily the sufficiency of Jesus, that he is enough. I kept thinking of the saying, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling, as we were singing those songs about the sufficiency of Jesus. And so I pray that your heart is strengthened, that you believe what you're singing, that even if even if maybe it doesn't strike your feelings in such a way that you're like, man, I'm totally in on that this morning, that you say, I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. And so I pray that God will use the songs and the liturgy that we do together each week to build us in our faith and to draw us back to the sufficiency of our Savior week in and week out. Well, before I get into our text this morning, I want to ask that you be praying for the elders over uh, the next couple of weeks in particular as we spend some time working through our budget for 2020. Planning for and praying uh, about our future together as a body, we do this together each year um, as we come to this time of the year, and we look forward to the the following year where we spend some very uh, specific time uh, looking through and talking through where we are as a body and what we how we sense God is leading us forward and we have much to discuss and to bring before the Lord as we consider our facility needs and our leadership team needs and caring for our faith family and various ministry needs and opportunities. So pray that we have discernment and unity as we strive to lead Christ's church here at Providence according to his plans for us. And so I saw that there was the the note about the member meeting coming on November 24th. That'll be an important time. For us, where we'll be sharing some of these things and making sure that everybody is, is aware of what we're talking about and uh, how we're striving to, to lead as we sense God uh, directing us to do so. In God's kindness and through your faithfulness, we are in a healthy place financially through 2019, giving us up nearly six and a half percent over budget. Our cash position uh, is at the strongest point. It it has really ever been uh, at uh, over $80,000 in our savings that we are uh, asking God to give us wisdom in how we use, again, with facility needs and all sorts of things on the horizon for us. But we're very thankful for that. We are giving thanks to the Lord for His provision through you, asking you to continue to be faithful to the Lord's call on you to give regularly, willingly, joyfully, and generously for the cause of his kingdom and through his church. There was one area in particular that we were not able to budget very much for this year, and that was the area of benevolence. That being said, we have not allowed our lack of budget to deter us from helping people in need when we sense the Lord leading us to do so. On occasion, we have communicated those needs to you and asked you to give as you were able to do so, in order to help offset the cost of caring for others, and you've always been generous to help meet those needs. Other times, we have just moved to help people from our community. When they have come to us in need, we've had to make a quick decision uh, whether or not it was something that we could do. And so I tell you this this morning because our special November offering to help offset the deficit uh, that we often face in our budget this year. Thankfully, we don't have that deficit, and so we would like to use that special offering to help offset the deficit in our benevolence fund, as well as to give us a strong uh, benevolence budget going into 2020. So if you are newer to Providence, for the last three years, we've had a special offering at the end of November for us to prayerfully give above and beyond our normal giving. This started, like I said, as a way for us to offset any de- deficit in our budgeted giving. But since we are thankfully on track with that this year, we want to look at it very, for this very specific need of the area of benevolence. And so all the gifts that come in for this special offering, above and, be, uh, above and beyond the amount right now, our deficit is about $720 uh, in that benevolence fund. Uh, so we want to make sure that we cover that. And then uh, anything that comes in above and beyond that, uh, will go toward funding our ben- benevolence fund for next year uh, as well. And so uh, we want to make sure that, that those funds are used specifically In that way. So we're going to have uh, this offering uh, in our service on November 24th. If you're not going to be here on the 24th and you would like to give prior to that time, uh, there is a drop-down box on our online giving that is is marked benevolence that you can give through uh, or just give during the Sunday offering um, and just make sure you mark it clearly that it's for uh, the special benevolence offering for November as well. So as one of your pastors, I just want you to know that I am very grateful for the love and the care that you show to one another as we face needs in our lives of all sorts of kinds. Though we are certainly not perfect, I do believe that we are a church that is striving to love one another with the love of Christ that the Spirit pours out into our hearts. As Jesus said, it is our love for one another that is a primary way that the world knows that we are His people. And one of the ways that we extend the grace of the gospel to one another and to our community is through sacrificial generosity that allows us to care for those who are in need. And so we'll get back into our text in John next week, but I want to take this morning to consider this beautiful example that God gives to us in his word to show how the gospel transforms us to be people that are marked by sacrificial generosity. And so, three points this morning. Uh, The first is that the gospel transforms us to care more about people than possessions. There are two effects of believing in and following after Jesus that the scripture speaks of often. All right, two effects. There's many, I know, but there's two in this particular arena that we're talking about this morning. The first one is that your grip on things is loosened. That is, your heart is freed from bondage to your possessions as your passion turns to seeking God's kingdom. You are moved by the Spirit of God to truly understand and believe that your life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. And you seek to then take appropriate steps to not be encumbered by your possessions in a way that would keep you from following Christ and his call upon your life. And so, one, our group, our grip on things is loosened. The other thing that happens to those being changed by Jesus in his gospel is that as you care less about yourself and your things and your wealth you begin to care more about others. The more you trust that God will always meet your needs when you are being faithful to his mission for your life, the more you are liberated to share with others because you truly begin to care about them. Your eyes are open to see and to believe that your resources do not only exist for you but for serving your neighbor. So as we see in the testimony of our text, and all who believed, all right? And he's saying here, all who believed in the crucified and risen Jesus were together, and they had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need so as we are changed by the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ the heart is loosened in relationship to things and tightened in relationship to people you find yourself spending much less time coveting other people's possessions and instead desiring to use your money to help meet other people's needs. So believing in Jesus as Savior and Lord, trusting him for all you need, being satisfied with all that, that God is for you in Jesus, that's the key, right? That's the starting point. It is the key to caring for others with the money that God has entrusted to you. Believing in Jesus trusting that he will always meet all of your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus and being satisfied with all that God is for you in Jesus is the key to caring for others with what God has entrusted to you. So we can say it this way, your treasure becomes loving God supremely and serving others selflessly because your heart has been changed from idolizing self and your worth to worshiping God and displaying his grace. And your trust becomes that God will give you everything you need to serve him faithfully and to spread his grace until he calls you into his eternal kingdom and glory so that trust in Jesus and in his sufficiency in all things in your life and treasuring Jesus above all else those two things work in tandem to lead us to be a people of sacrificial generosity so we see these two things come together in Jesus words in Luke chapter 12 32 through 34 when he says fear not all right there's that trust factor, all right? Don't fear, little flock. Again, we. I love this language of Jesus as our shepherd who cares for us, leads us, guides us into pasture. So fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom, all right? So that is the gift. So we've, we often focus on what comes next, all right? Treasure the gift. It is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Then he says, sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. All right, that's the kingdom, right, that he is giving to us for where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. All right, so this is a big step in the process of looking at the money that we have, however little or much that may be, all right, looking at the money that we have through the lens of the gospel in God's kingdom. That is not only trusting God to meet your needs, or trying to treasure God above your things, which is super important, but also taking the money and possessions that God has given you and using them for the good of others. Others who very well may not be able to repay you. John Piper views Christ's words here in this way. He says, Jesus wants us Christians to be free from the love of things. And he wants us to be firm in our love for people. And he does not believe that you can have both at the same time. Because if your heart is united in love to people, then you will sit loose to things. Because things will have value only as a means of loving people. So free from the love of things firm in our love for people. That's a pretty simple yet profound way of stating how the gospel ought to change our view of money from being ours to always consume on our pleasure to being a gift that we are to steward for the glory of God and the good of our neighbor. To prioritize the needs of Christ's community Above our own. I think it is probably fair to say that one of the strongest pieces of evidence that many professing Christians in our nation today have been deceived by Western commercialism and materialism is how little we give and how much we own. Now, I'm not just talking about what you give in the offering basket. I'm talking about having eyes that are open to the needs of those around you, particularly those in our faith family. I am talking about caring for others above cherishing our own comfort. I am talking about purposefully and joyfully laying up treasure in heaven by spending our earthly treasures for merciful purposes in Christ's name here on earth. It is tough, but it is true. The kingdom call of Jesus is that if we are going to follow him, we must be faithful Free from the love of things and firm in our love for people. We must be a counter community that views our resources not merely as a way to raise our standard of living, but as a means to raise our standard of giving. All right? I think you're hearing a really good balanced view during the gathering in these areas. And so I want you to understand there is nothing wrong with enjoying living. There is nothing wrong with enjoying the good gifts that God gives to us, but not at the exclusion of first establishing generous giving. And so look at it this way, friends. God has blessed us not just so that we can live better, but so that we can love better. Simple statement, big paradigm shift, right? God has blessed us not just so that we can live better, but so that we can love better. This way of thinking and living is powerfully illustrated in the example of the early church as these people believed in the gospel in such a way that their faith took root in their works, right? So point number two, the gospel unites us to delight in and to display the grace of the gospel together. There are two texts in the book of Acts that are very similar in their language, that give us an idea of how these new followers of Christ were fleshing out their faith. The first is found in Acts 2, 42 through 47, that Wes read just a few moments ago. Acts 2 contains the record of the time when the New Testament church was born. Jesus had recently risen and ascended back into heaven, And just as he promised, he sent the Holy Spirit upon his apostles so that they might go with his power and authority as witnesses to the gospel. This began in Jerusalem at Pentecost as the Jews who had gathered together heard Peter preach the message of the gospel, that Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. That he was crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men and then raised from death by God the Father to be the Savior of all who repent and believe in his name for the forgiveness of their sins. That is the good news. And this is what is being preached by these apostles in the power of the Spirit as they are sent forth by the risen Christ to take this message of hope to the Jews, to those in Jerusalem. In verse 41, Luke speaks of the staggering response wrought by the Holy Spirit in the lives of many who heard the words of the gospel proclaimed. It says, So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Now, what is almost as astonishing for us to comprehend is how their faith was seen in their works. They were zealous to live out through their relationships the truth of the gospel that Jesus displayed in his life and death. I think that it is important that we understand that what we are seeing here in Acts 2 is not some crazy cultish commune. All right? It is certainly not a paradigm for socialism. It is not state mandated distribution of wealth. All right? It is gospel motivated sharing of possessions. And it is a wonderful illustration of gospel transformation taking place as the Lord our God is calling these people to himself and they are indwelt and empowered and led by the Holy Spirit. Understand, much like us, these people lived in the midst of a crooked generation, what Jesus called a faithless and perverse generation. And Peter's call was for these people to repent of their unbelief and to turn to follow Jesus. And by God's grace and power, many were believing. The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So what we see happening here is that God is establishing a new community, a counter-community, a believing remnant, a people that would be his people to display his grace and reflect his glory together. They saw this happening corporately As the redeemed people of God, not just individually going, but corporately together, displaying the glory and grace of Jesus who had come, given his life, defeated death, that they might have life in his name. And so, as God was building and bonding this community, we witnessed this amazing sense of togetherness and one anotherness and responsibility to care for each other, both spiritually and physically. So, within the text, it seems like verse 42 is sort of a summary statement that gets further developed than in verses 43 through 47. Verse 42 says that the believers were devoted, all right? That is, they were seriously and earnestly persisting in four things. The apostles' teaching, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer. And each of these four things turns up one way or another in the following verses after verse 42. It's quite obvious that the conviction of sin that followed Peter's preaching was no momentary panic of punishment. Rather, the message of the gospel filled these new believers with a lasting sense of awe. Don't you love that? Awe came upon every soul. That's what we often need, right? We need awe at our God. Awe at his grace. Reverence of his glory. So God was at work among them, just as God is at work among us this morning. That as the apostles spoke and God revealed himself to these people through their words and the wonders they performed, there is some serious spiritual growth that is happening. People are giving themselves to prayer and to the teaching of the apostles. They're praising God together in public worship. They're gathering to enjoy and be strengthened by fellowship with one another around meals. And they are helping to meet one another's needs. So does this sound like a spiritually healthy, caring community of Christ followers to you? Yes, it's, it's quite beautiful. Not perfect. I guarantee you that, okay? But it is the gospel at work in their lives as they are declaring it, as they are displaying it to one another. So God is using these people who are not worried about themselves, but that are rich toward God and loving one another, to be an example of the joy and love that comes through the Spirit. Right, this isn't something we work up. This is a fruit of the Spirit, a ministry of us as we yield our hearts to the Spirit of God and trust Him to lead us in these things. And then as we are obedient, instead of quenching the Spirit, we are obedient to follow the leading of the Spirit, of the Spirit in our lives. And what's going on here? The people are seeing, they're seeing God at work in them. God is using the praises and compassion of His people to shine as a light. And more and more people are coming to Christ and joining with this new community of believing saints. Christopher Wright says it this way. He says, in caring for one another and ensuring that there were no needy people among them, the early believers demonstrated a new quality of living that was appealing. And it was that quality of life that reinforced the evangelistic preaching of the apostles so that people joined the church in great numbers. Sadly, in our culture today, quite the opposite is happening. Statistics and surveys show that there are many people in this age that are turned off towards the message of the gospel we preach and that are leaving the church in great numbers precisely because it is not authenticated in the quality of love and care that ought to be expressly evident within the community of Christ followers. Instead of grace pervading our culture through the generosity of the church, the greed of our culture fills our hearts and keeps us from seeing and meeting the needs of others. And we can be sure that God is not glorified in our midst or his grace manifest to the world when we constantly keep for ourselves what we ought to be using to care for the needs of others. And so, thirdly, the gospel compels us to use our belongings to help relieve others' burdens. The church redeemed by the grace of our Savior should be a community that is marked by compassion and mercy. Is your life marked by compassion and mercy? We should be a people that use our possessions to help relieve the needs and burdens of others and not just to consume on our own comforts. We are all prone in one way or another to be hoarders. It is so easy to allow our lives to consist in the abundance of our possessions. But as Timothy Keller states, it is radical fellowship like we see here in Acts 2, 44 and 45, that is the antidote for the suicide of materialism committed by the man who built bigger and bigger barns and lost soul. Luke highlights this radical fellowship of the early church again in Acts 4, 32 through 37. And I want to read this, all right, Acts 4, 32 through 37, I want to read this, and as I do, note how these people rejoiced in the gospel that they truly believed, and how that radically altered the way they viewed the money and possessions they had. And then see the result this view of their earthly possessions had in this community of believers. Now, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. and work out its truth in our hearts and lives. Here's, it starts with the belief. All right, here's the belief. With great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. That is the belief. That's the gospel truth through which all of their actions flow. All right, so that leads then to the action that through the lens of Jesus' resurrection, they fully invested in a cause that they saw as a no-brainer, the redeemed and soon-to-be resurrected church. So this investment was not senseless or ill-advised. Sounds like it when you read it, (laughs) went and sold his land, brought the proceeds from it to the apostles so that they could distribute to those who had need. You're like, what? That was dumb. You could have done a lot of other things with that. Kind of like the uh, Pharisees when Mary brought the ointment, put it on Jesus' feet. What are you doing? Think of all the stuff that you could do with, if you had gone and, and sold that. But understand it. Understand they saw this through the lens of the resurrection. That this was, because of Jesus' resurrection, his promise to all who believe in his name, that this was not some senseless and ill-advised thing to do. Rather, it was both true and triumphant. It was a guaranteed success. So this led to this view then that no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, for they had everything in common. All right, so the belief of the resurrection led to the action of of something that seems so radical and yet was done through through the lens of the resurrection because their desire was that there would not be anyone amongst them who was in need. And the result was there was not a needy person among them all right so for luke as it should be for us fellowship did not just consist in getting together for a meal once in a while or in talking to each other over coffee before church for a few minutes Rather, the heart of fellowship consists in the reality that believers are so bonded together in the hope of the resurrection that if one is in need, the others do not feel that they have the right to live on in prosperity without giving up something to meet that need. And so they would sell possessions and use the money to meet the needs of the poor and powerless in their midst. They did this so faithfully and so well that Luke could actually write under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that there was not a needy person among them. What a great goal for us to have as a body of believers united together in faith and committed to walking worthy of the gospel. Not that I'm asking you to go sell everything and bring it to the elders' feet, okay? But what I'm saying is, is that we have such a high view of the gospel and such a high view of our place as kingdom people that we use what God has blessed us with, so that there is not a needy person among us. But if we are going to truly care for one another in such a manner, it's not going to be because of a sermon that I preached. It will be because we are convinced that there is something far better to be gained with our money and possessions than a life of greater comfort and supposed security. Because sacrificial generosity is not a mandate, it is a response. Christian generosity is a response to the reality of the resurrection. Not just Jesus' resurrection, but the resurrection into the visible kingdom of God that Jesus' resurrection secured for all of his people. The promise of the resurrection is that all who give of their lives and their belongings in this age for the sake of Jesus and the gospel will receive a hundredfold in the age to come. That we will receive an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for all those who are being guarded by God's power for that day. That we will experience joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory when when we come and obtain the outcome of our faith. When we come to Mount Zion, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. This is the promised reward of the resurrection. It is a kingdom that cannot be shaken, an unimaginable inheritance that Jesus died to secure for all who live by faith in him and seek first his kingdom. So yeah, the prosperity gospel is a thing, but not for this age, for the age to come. So such a hope is meant to, to compel us to follow the example of our generous Savior as his redeemed bride, to put the glory of Christ and the greatness of his love for us on display by pursuing our joy in the good of others, by caring for others above cherishing our own comfort, by purposefully and joyfully laying up treasure in heaven, by spending our earthly treasures for merciful purposes in Christ's name here on earth, by being a counter-community that views our possessions as a God-given means to increase our ability to give, not just to make our lives more comfortable to live. I recently heard someone say that money is the earthly currency by which we obtain the deeper longings of our heart. That money is the earthly currency by which we obtain the deeper longings of our heart. That is so true. That is why we love money. Because of what we think it can provide for us the things our hearts long for. Comfort, security, prestige, power. We could go on and on. But what if we believed that Jesus, through the power and the hope of the gospel, already gives us everything that our hearts truly long for? And therefore, our money, rather than being the means to get what our flesh desires, becomes a means to help give to others what our hearts treasure. And that is the grace of Christ that has been given to us. I dare say that we would only increase in growth as a community marked by sacrificial generosity and an unquenchable joy. And so let us commit to this aspect of being a caring community, right? Our mission statement, proclaim Christ as a caring community of God-exalting disciple-makers. This is part of that commission, part of our mission, is to be a people marked by sacrificial generosity. And this should, this should begin and just how you view your giving, period, right? From week to week, month to month. That it's not just the leftovers that you give to God, but that he gets the first fruits. And that we honor him through that. Not just so that we can look forward to having a better, nicer facility at some point, but so that we can care for the needs of those that God gives us to care for. So let us commit to this aspect of being a caring community and let us prayerfully consider how God would use us to give to this gospel cause of sacrificial generosity toward those who are in need. All right, so keep this in your heart and mind. Pray about this. Make this a matter of prayer as families. All right. What is it that you can, quote-unquote, give up? Or what is it that you as a family can pray about doing to give in such a way, very specifically, all right, above and beyond your normal giving, very specifically to give in the month of November or on November 24th, very specifically for the needs, caring for the needs of others, whether it be those here in our faith family that have needs or those outside in our community that we can show the love of Jesus as they come and have needs. So let's pray and ask God to help us to seek him in this, to trust his promises, and then to act as a people marked by sacrificial generosity. Father, thank you that you are a generous God. I thank you that you are not stingy with your grace, that you are not stingy with your love, that you give promise after promise after promise after promise of how you will care for the needs of your people as we seek first your kingdom. And that's just here on earth. The promises of what are to come are beyond imagination. So Lord, help us to invest in that kingdom, the kingdom of God, as we live here on this earth. Thank you for all the good gifts that you give to us. And as we strive to use them for your glory, help us to be a people, a caring community, marked by the generosity of our God. In Jesus' name, amen.